0: Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host, joined by Joe Cook, managing editor and beat writer for the Longhorns for InsideTexas.com. Uh, Joe, you're headed to the uh, um, uh, the Big 12 Media Days uh, this time next week, Wednesday and Thursday uh, at Jerry World. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, uh, Jade Barron, Jalen Ford, Jordan Whittington, all available to the media, as well as Steve Sarkeesian, as well as other big 12 coaches. Uh, maybe the most interesting guy I want you to talk to though, first and foremost is Greg Burks, the head of officiating. Uh, you guys are going to get a chance to to talk to him. I'd like to explain, have him explain to us how uh, Oklahoma state has zero penalties and Texas has 14 uh, and, and see what he has to say. What do you think?
1: Yeah, not only that, I, I'm wondering, uh, oh man, what's his name? It's Goggles. That's what everybody on inside Texas knows him as Uh, He got hired by the NFL. I wonder what the conversation went like when uh, the NFL came calling for him uh, because that's an official who Texas has a pretty significant losing record with. (laughs) Usually that's pretty informative. Um, It is, uh, I think in in odd years there may be new rules, and it's uh, a good way to learn about them because last year, if you remember, there was a lot of blocking rules that were implemented about going high or going low. Um, that really changed crackback blocking, uh, and and it was good to hear about it that way. Um, but yeah, this has been a place where uh, even when old Walt Anderson was the Big 12 coordinator of officials inside Texas, had a had a little uh, uh, it, harsh question line of questioning for him as well, way back in the day. Um, again, related to an Oklahoma State Texas game, um, I think that we all don't remember very very fondly. I don't know what to say, but
0: 14 to, no, to zero is pretty, uh, I don't know that I'd ever seen that before in a single game. Uh, the other question I would love to hear from an, an official there is, you know, what do y'all think? You have two two referees now or two umps are in the backfield um, on a on every single play. Two, two people are now in the backfield. How are there not more holding calls than what we've seen? Because it's very clear some people get away with holding and, I mean, I think of the one on Jared Wiley that wasn't called last year against TCU. They gave the Horned Frogs while they were bottled up in their back end. A, it was a clear hold. There's two refs in the back and neither one of them call it. And I, I'd love to get some some, uh, some more uh, nuance or interest, uh, interesting conversation go in that regard, because I think uh, that is a problem uh, for the Big 12. Other uh, conferences like the SEC don't seemingly have that problem with calling holding uh, quite as All right. Enough belly aching by me. Um, that's my I went on my tribe to start this thing. Uh, Joe, uh, Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, Jaday Barron, Jalen Ford, um, Jordan Whittington. And then we also have C- Steve Sarkeesian. What I think we should do here in today's uh, video or tonight's video is talk um, about maybe the one burning question you want to ask or I want to ask each of these guys. Um, let's start uh, with Quinn and then end with uh, Steve Sarkeesian, okay? What is the one burning question you have for Quinn Ewers this, this offseason?
1: You know, I just really want to know what he's done to make sure that he can get the mundane down. Um, I forgot who who I heard talking about this, but the reason Patrick Mahomes can do all those crazy sidearm stuff is because when it's first and 10 and there's a guy over the middle, he can hit that guy. And he doesn't have to do anything crazy, um, and that's what sets his floor so high. And you know, part of what gives him such a high ceiling, Quinn Ewers didn't show a great ability to do that a lot last year. And I know that you know, with deep balls, it, it's kind of a crapshoot in the first place. Your your conversion percentage is not that high because it's a deep pass, and you can work on that. But what Texas needs from Quinn Ewers this year is a quarterback who can do the basic stuff you'd like for him to be able to do the spectacular and we saw that at times but the spectacular was just as sporadic as the mundane so i want to see if he can you know keep the mundane uh something that he's able to do and i feel like you know turning this question back around on you i feel like that's kind of similar for you especially with one uh specific area of his fundamentals yeah i'm i'm with
0: you i think the mundane is part of it i think the easy throws are a big piece of Uh, college football in particular. Uh, The the throws, Sark likes to move the ball sometimes with the power run and then spread you out wide. Well, when you have Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, uh, A.D. Mitchell, guys like that, they're effective running the ball one-on-one outside. And so that mundane becomes even more important, in my opinion, right, as we we look at it in moving the ball on a consistent basis, because that's the one thing I would say in Both of Sark's first two years, I wouldn't say Texas was consistent enough on offense and that mundane, the ability to master the mundane allows you to move the football on an ongoing basis, which I think is other thing. The other thing I want to know uh, from Quinn Ewers is leadership. Where is he at in that process with this team? Because last year, it wasn't his team going into the fall. We didn't know whose team it was. It was either his or Hudson cards, right? And then he goes out there and wins the job, gets going. But then the injury against Alabama, yep, takes him back. And so what's he doing now that's different? I mean, I, no offense, but from, from photos and everything else we've seen from him, he looks like he's rededicated himself or dedicated himself in the weight room, shaved the beard, shaved the mullet, you know, kind of looking more like a team leader. Perhaps for whatever that's worth, you know, you, the looks looks can be deceiving. But my point being, I'm interested in not only the mundane, to your point, the, the consistency of it and what it brings about, but also uh, him uh, maturing as a leader as well. All right. Uh, next one that I have for you Xavier Worthy, your question to him.
1: You know, me, me and Justin, uh, we talked about this a little bit, what we would want to, to hear from him. And I know Xavier Worthy is such a polarizing figure, at least right now in Texas football. Um, You know, you may love him for what he's done in production, but you may not be the biggest fan of him as far as, you know, maybe some, I don't know, about body language or just in general how he played over the end of last year. So my question basically, I want to know how much that hand affected him because you're a receiver, You got to catch the ball with two hands most of the time. That's what you're taught to do. And that's pretty tough when one of them is broken. And I'm not going to begrudge him for that. In fact, I'll give him credit for playing through a broken hand. And I don't know if I'll give Sark credit for not ever mentioning it, but I understand why he did it. But there are some things we saw that weren't really hand-related, I feel like, that had to do with effort. And I wonder if like having a broken hand and having to play through that affected that, and it's a downhill f- thing uh, for a wide receiver. So I really wonder how much that hand affected him, not just physically, but just how he approached the game mentally. And if after getting it healed up, after going through spring ball and now you know, going through summer and, and fall training camp, if he's back to the place where he was really confident before that freshman season where he – uh, took down a lot of freshman records, and if the hand, more than just in the physical way, was was limiting him um, over the second half of last season. The other piece that I would
0: add to that is the element of ball tracking downfield. He didn't look good at that, other than against Alabama, where he made that one play on a deep ball. He didn't look good at that all year long. And to your point, was that partly the hand? Was that something else that's going on? Does he just not track the ball well downfield? It. I didn't think it was a problem, or I didn't notice the problem when he was a true freshman, um, and so that'll be something to to ask him or keep in mind as we go for it. Jade Barron is next um, and that I want to talk about here. Uh, guy that I, I don't know if he was all Big 12 or came close to it last year. He certainly could have been. He played well enough. Here's my question for him, Joe, and I want to get your feedback on it. Did Jalen Gilbo beating you out and starting the first two games light a fire under your butt? Because Jalen Gilbo was actually starting at Star early before Jaday came out and, and uh, won that job full time. Now, maybe there was something going on behind the scenes. We don't know or hasn't been talked about, but something lit a fire under him uh, at the beginning of last year. Perhaps it was Jalen Gilbo, uh, whether it's Terry Joseph or, or Blake Gideon, his coaches, not sure, but he ended up having a whale of a season. I'd love to know uh, what lit that fire under him.
1: Yeah, you know what? That's looking a little bit earlier in the season. I'd, I'd look a little bit towards where he's at right now and also where he's at for the future of the, the Texas defense. And I think what you mentioned is, is makes a lot of sense because you know, when I go through some of my position previews and are starting to do research, I kind of forgot Jalen Gilbo started. And granted, starting, look at Serge Bari Rice for a cross-sport reference. Starting doesn't mean everything, uh, but it still, you know, reflects who the coaches thought would be the best person for the job uh, entering the game, according to that week's game plan, and at least for the first couple of weeks of the year, it was Jalen Gilbo. Over the course of the year, I think we all saw that Barron proved so valuable that he was needed. But now that leads into my question, where does he think he's needed most? Should he be a corner, maybe opposite Ryan Watts? does uh, Austin Jordan or Jalen Gilbo becoming that solid player at star allow for him to maybe take that opportunity and, and work at corner? Or does he stick at star so someone like uh, Gavin Holmes or even Manny Muhammad can Get the opportunities over on the outside. Or,
0: or instead of going, instead of staying at star and going to corner, how about moving back to safety if Jalen Catalan can't go? That, 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 yeah, would be I a think that's logical a logical move, in my opinion.
1: I think so too, just because we've seen, um, you know, sometimes in, in press availabilities, uh, the level of study that a player puts in is very can be overblown. Um, but I, I got a genuine sense of it from from J- Jade Barron. I, I know that may be me just extrapolating and trying to read people, but I, I got a sense that he knew where to be, and then you saw it on the on the field too. Like that was someone who just had a knack for the football. And I think if it weren't for Jalen Ford, who we'll uh, talk about in a second, um, we would notice that a lot more. So I, I, I get where yours is coming from, and I, I really think he's going to have a big year. I think he's just one of those players, he played so many different spots that maybe coaches or media didn't know where to put him on like a, an All Big 12 or you know honorable mention type thing. But man, that was one of the best players on the Texas defense last year, and I could see him being a factor at you know all five uh, positions uh, in, the, in the Longhorn defense. All right, outside
0: of Barron, you mentioned Jalen Ford, right? And jo- Joe, the, the question here is you know, I'm looking at his performance last year where he literally went from zero tackles against Louisiana Monroe to an, I think it was 119 total tackles. Much like Jade Barron, I, you know, what happened? Did he just, did, did Jeff Choate get into him? Did he finally start letting his eyes and feet react to the world as opposed to thinking too much? Since it was really, it was his first time as a full-time starter. So give him some grace, but what was the impetus of the year long improvement? Really? Uh, Would that be your question or would yours be about, I don't know, the the amount of turnovers he was able to force and and the impact of those?
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's tough to think about that first game just because it's Louisiana Monroe, and you know maybe the uh, the Warhawks saw something we didn't and thought, hey, we can't let that guy get any opportunities. Um, I I don't have a lot of concerns about Jalen Ford himself. I think we saw over the course of last year that that's a player who knows where to be and knows how to get there. What what I want to hear uh, from him is maybe not so much about who lit a fire under him, but who he's lighting a fire under because they got to replace Demarvin Overshown. Uh, that could be a job that goes to a variety of different players with a variety of physical statures. Uh, David Benda seems like he's going to make a lot of sense there, but then you have Maurice Blackwell, who may be a little lighter than some of the other will linebackers of conventional thought. And you got Jet Bush, who's moved back and forth and back and forth. So I I think that figuring out what he is seeing from the position next to him and that's, of course, not to mention Anthony Hill or uh, Leonga Lafau or any of the other uh, players who were signed in Texas' 2023 class. I want to know what he's doing, not only to make sure that the level of play next to him it remains high, uh, but what else is going on just at that position because you could, you, you knew what was going to happen last year at linebacker. You had DeMarvin Overshone, You had Jalen Ford. It was a pretty safe bet to know that they were going to be in the right spot or trying to make the play. You don't have the same thing this year, even with Ford, who was a third-team All-American on that roster. Yeah, you,
0: you nailed that one, Joe, in my opinion. I think I think you nailed it. What can he do to bring along others, and what has he done in, in the process of doing right now? Uh, before we get to Steve Sarkeesian, one more longhorn that I want to ask you about. Jordan Whittington and your thoughts
1: there. I know he mentioned in the spring that he came back to, to win a Big 12 championship, and that's You know, I think that's what everybody's thinking. But I want to know what else, what other factors about his return did he really, really consider and think? You know, what I need to do this instead of GoPro because he's someone who, rightfully so, enjoys being a college athlete, enjoys being one of the more popular players on the team. Was that something that factored into it? Was business opportunities in Austin? Was just being a Longhorn and being, you know, somebody who is a recognized team leader now after being healthy for 13 games, is that something that drew him back? I I, I know he – and it's great to know that the Big 12 title was like his first uh, priority, but I want to know just some of the other details because that's a player – man, now that I think of it, I've been going – I've known Jordan Whittington or been aware of who he is since 2017 because I went down to Quero right after Zach Smith, of all people, offered him at Ohio State. And then Drew Maringer offered him pretty shortly thereafter or right before. So I've seen him for so long. I'm just wondering, you know, what led him to want to come back to Texas for one more year and maybe just push aside a little bit the Big 12 title. But if it's just that, then that says a lot, too. I'll, I'll add one thing. If someone else asked that question, ask him how much
0: pride he takes in his blocking. Because I, I do think that that's one of the things that came out last year. Um, the receivers last year blocked better than they had been of late. All right, uh, let's talk about Steve Sarkeesian before we close out here, Joe. Um, a ton of questions for the second year head coach for the Longhorns, our third year head coach. Uh, after going five and seven his first year, he goes eight and five his second. This year he looks the Longhorns look a little bit loaded in comparison to the two previous years. He's been at the helm. Uh, what's the question that you have most for him?
1: You know, over the course of that speaking tour, he went on. One of the things I was able to ask him is like, look, you're, you're giving people a lot of reason to be really optimistic. Is that, is that something you're okay with? He's like, yeah, you know, we have high expectations. He even said the words, Hey, we, we left the Southwest Conference as champion. Why don't we leave the big 12 as champion? Like he knows that, People around the program and people within the program want to hold that trophy up in Arlington to, you know, leave the the Big 12 title. So, and I know he's going to get asked that. That's going to be a very common question that he'll receive from whoever shows up nationally or semi locally or even locally. But what I really want to know is, you know, you call your offense a run first offense, but you don't have a bell cow back right now. How do you really alter your offense if you may not have a bell cow and you got to go by committee? Because, you know, with the way his offense works, it's a lot of run to set up the pass and play action opens up a lot of holes uh, for quarterbacks like Quinn Ewers to to see and uh, to try to hit. Whereas just drop back passing without any play action is a tough, it's a tougher row to hoe. So, are you going to put that on your uh, quarterback? Are you going to alter the scheme of your? Are you going to alter your scheme a little bit to just try and be a little bit more prolific in passing? Or are you going to still going to work to establish the run, have a run first offense, even if you don't have a you know number one clear cut back like you might have had last year with Bijan and then one B with Roshan? Interesting.
0: I think my question would be somewhat similar in nature, but a little bit different take. Um, and not necessarily about the, the, the offense. Mine is more about his overall expectation, you know, not just and where the program is in the process. You, you mentioned the expect the, the desire to be a big 12 champ. If, if Texas were to win, they would be, they would in the big 12 with a, a, cha- a conference championship to start the league and a conference championship to, to close it out for them. Um, my question would be, okay, that would be phenomenal, right? But you're here for the long haul. Um, what, Where are you at in that long-term process? Are you getting the guys up front that you wanna get? Are you getting the guys that are getting you ready for long-term success? Because as a long-term follower or a long-time follower of the Longhorns Joe, that's what's striking me more than any single thing right now. Um, it's not so much that they have a real chance this year because they do. I think that's fair. You know, whether they actually take the control of that and control their own destiny, I think relies on a couple of players. Quinn, Ewers, as we mentioned. But my point to you on this, uh, Joe, is, you know, where is he at in this process? Is he still – does he think it's ongoing? Do, does he think he's on the precipice? Or has he still got some work ahead of him? Um, I, I want to know that because it, the next three to five years, I think are, are just so important to uh, Texas fans generally as well. So, all right, um, Joe, you have any other things or comments you want to make you, you're going to ask Brett Yormark, the the uh, new com- conference commissioner of the big
1: 12. What, what do you thinks about uh, conference realignment uh, or anything like that? Man, he's, he's someone who's kept his, uh, his hand pretty close to the vest. And I bet if there's going to, I bet there's gonna be a lot of questions about you're going to try to add Arizona, Arizona state, Colorado, and Utah, and he will deflect them quickly. I guess the one, uh, if you had to ask one of the 14 head coaches, one question, who is it? And what are you asking? Anybody beside the Texas contingent? Um, I'm asking Dana Holgerson, how he feels about his job entering this year.
0: (laughs) Okay. I would be a little bit, uh, I wouldn't be so straightforward. I would ask Joey Maguire, "Does the Big Twelve still go through Lubbock?" <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I think that came back to bite him a little bit last year. I think too, it helped him out. I think it helped him out, and I think it's bitten him too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I, I think that it's it's one thing to be excited for your team and other and, and everything. I think it's another thing to kind of uh stake out that that ground when you're not really at that ground. It's one one thing to hope. I look, I have nothing but firm respect for him as a coach. I think that bit him a little bit uh later in the year. So I'm I, I'm also my my tongue is firmly in my cheek on that too. That's a little just trying to a little dig there. But uh all right, Joe, I appreciate you, bud. Uh good talking to you. Uh we'll talk to you again later this week. I know you have the show on Thursdays. With Justin, questions answered. Uh, I will uh, be talking to you again at Big 12 Media Days as well. For Joe Cook, managing editor and beat writer for InsideTexas.com, I'm Bobby Burton. That's been this episode of On Texas Football.